episode. We are back this week after taking a much-needed hiatus. We are back with In the Midnight Hour podcast with your hosts, Keller and Lauren. And we appreciate everybody for listening to the episode last week. It, it was one of our favorites, I think, that we had done. Yeah, it was really fun to record. So, yeah, I appreciate everybody listening. We had a good time doing it. And uh, maybe you got to learn a little bit about us. And I definitely learned some things about myself and Lauren. And I think she learned some stuff about me, too. But we are back here on the couch this week with a very special guest in studio, (laughs) in home, Uh, my brother, Max. Hello, hello, hello. Long-time listener, first-time participant. (laughs) I'm glad to be here in uh, in the room with uh, everyone. Yeah, we're glad to have him on this week's episode because it's a topic that he knows a lot about more than I. Debatable. And and more than Lauren. I can probably speak for her. But yeah, so Max, you've always been interested in tech and technology and, uh, how did that how did that start? How did that come about? Well, before we even do that, let's let the man introduce himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's let's not get too far out of ourselves. But yes, if you haven't guessed by the title and the description, today we're gonna be talking about um, AI, technology, humanity, the future of humanity. We're gonna be touching on a lot of broad issues today, but uh, the main focus point being technology and what that means for our society. Um, and yes, we are so grateful to have Max on, he's Keller's brother, and um, yeah, Max, you tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, great. So, <laughs> something I don't like doing. Yeah. A little bit about all. your childhood, what do you, what, what's your <laughs> hobbies, your interests, your, what do you hate? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'll go as that far, <laughs> but uh, well, um, I am Keller's brother. Yes, he has a brother. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that because I kind of, I'm the silent one. I like to stay at home, more of a homebody. Which I totally relate to that. I'm the introvert of this relationship. <laughs> Keller's the extrovert, so I get it. Um, three years younger than him. Um, grew up in the same household with both our parents. Um, that's, I mean,. You went, both went to, to the same high school together. Mm-hmm. and We were actually in high school for one year together. Yeah. Yes, and y'all, y'all did marching band together. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. But, yeah, you, I mean, I think from as long as I've known you, and I'm sure Keller would say the same, you've always had a sort of a special interest in technology and um, how it works and what mm-hmm. makes it work and... Um, and then me and Keller are kind of like the pseudo philosophers, right? <laughs> and how does it affect society? Yeah, I mean, we we share a lot of interest. I feel like we have yeah. common interest in music and um, comedy, and yeah. among other things, <clears throat> share the same sense of humor. And uh, 
But yeah, the technology thing is something where I, I guess we differ. I mean, I, I'm just an old curmudgeon. I'll take a flip phone and be fine, you know. But um, but you've always been interested in, in technology and, and the development of that and um, the companies that produce uh, that technology. So, so yeah, going back to my original question, how did that develop? You know, what was the genesis of your interest in that? Um, I think I've always been interested in finding out how things work. Um, I've always been a tinkerer. Um, yeah, I rem- okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, didn't I know I was probably going to bring up the same thing. <laughs> I, started, I just remember this, this dude got a, I think it was a PlayStation 3 mm-hmm. or something one year. Yeah, for Christmas. Just came out, PlayStation 3 for Christmas. <laughs> He gets it, we you know get it. We have the the toys downstairs. He immediately takes it up to his room. I open my presents. Probably thirty minutes later, an hour later, I go up to his room, and every part of the PlayStation Three is on the ground in his room, spread out. <laughs> I mean, just completely took it apart. And I'm like horrified. I'm like, "What are you doing?" Well, He's like, "I know what I'm doing." I'm like, "Okay, I trust you." Yeah. He's like, "Shut the yeah, fuck up." Go back to your fucking room and play your stupid guitar. I know what the I'm, I know what I'm doing. Okay, Keller. Well, to to add some light on what happened, what my brain was thinking at the at the time, um, the PlayStation Three when it first came out, because they made different versions of it, but the first version, which they called the Fat or P H P H A T version, was That's the first phobic. version that came out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we don't but, use fat anymore, okay? Okay. Uh, the, n- the non-slim version of the <laughs> PS3 that came out um, had a, uh, a... I forgot what they call it. I think it's like a, a slot-loading Blu-ray drive or something. It, it was the type that doesn't have a tray that comes out. Or you put a disc on and close the lid. It was the type that sucks it in, kind mm. of like a radio in a in a car or something. Yeah, mm. So I was curious, how does it do that? So I took the top off the PS3. I actually broke the faceplate of it doing that, and it never got. It was never right again <laughs> because I broke the clips and I didn't know what I was doing. This was before like iFixit was a thing where you had guides online that would tell you step-by-step with pictures how to take something apart. Mm. So I just kind of forced the top off of this thing, found some screws, and just started taking the the lid off, and I found the Blu-ray drive. So I was curious about that. I opened the the Blu-ray drive itself, and I just learned, okay, well, it has this little latch that senses when the disc is inserted, and then from there, it kind of just takes hold of the disc and brings it in. And then when it takes it out, it pushes it the opposite way. So I had that open, and I came downstairs, and Daddy was sitting on the couch. <laughs> and I remember I showed it to him. I was like, look, this is how this works. And he had just paid probably $800 for this, <laughs> for this brand-new PS3. That was, that was not easy to get during the holiday season is when it came out. So he freaked out, said, I don't, I don't, okay, well, that's fine. I, that's cool how it works, but please, please put that back together. And, uh, and I was like, okay. 
So I've kind of went opposite, found how, how to put it back together. But the only thing I couldn't fix was the, the faceplate because I broke. You know, and now that you say that about, like, how the the actual, like, the CD mechanism works, mm. it is fascinating when you think about it, I about how all those different mechanisms and, you know, the engineering part of it works. Because I guess I do think about, like, I'm not, I don't know a lot about technology, but I'm very curious to it. I'm very open-minded and, like, want to know. So I'm, like, the type of person who's, like, I'm going to look up a YouTube video and see how it works. Where, like, you would actually do it. You know, I I definitely have the curiosity for it. Like, I love to know how things work and how it all meshes together. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I'm interested in, like, car mechanic stuff. Like, I wish I knew more about working on cars. Like, I've watched YouTube videos and I've changed, like, alternators and little, you know, on top of engine stuff because that interests me because I feel like it's on my level. Like that's something I can see how it works. I can figure it out and put back together. But with technology, you know, with circuit boards and all that, I just, that's totally above my head. So it's like, I'm not even going to touch it or even think about how it works because that's above my pay grade, you know, rather than engine, you can see you know, this part moves and connects to this part. I don't think that way. Yeah, with with capacitors and circuit boards and wiring, you know. Well, I mean, all that stuff works in theory the same way. It's just smaller. Right. So yeah. I, I think the there's a certain level of intimidation when people see something open like an iPhone, mm. and they're like, "Oh, I have no idea how this works." Yeah. But it, you just think it's it works the same way as like an engine would yeah. all the parts come together to create the whole piece of what the technology is but i think that it is definitely it gets very intimidating seeing something that looks minuscule mm. size-wise compared to like a chunk that you can grip with your bare mm. hand and it, it seems easier to break than something like engine parts mm-hmm now, would you say your interest in technology began with video games or before that? Uh, I mean, video games have always been an interest of mine. Um, not just the creation of them, but like the technology it takes to make something display on a television that you can just press a button and mm -hmm. it does a certain action, mm -hmm. the stuff that goes into that. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think they kind of... Maybe they go hand in hand yeah, they they, at the same time. They go hand in hand. Um, I definitely got interested in technology more around the same time that I also started getting really into video games. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense because it, you are, especially y'all growing up in the 90s, it's like mind-blowing when you think about, okay, this is, the, you know, the animation side of it. Okay, and there's like the creator and artist side that can animate this. But then you're like, oh, no, there's like a scientific formula that goes behind every pixel of this that made it so that this artwork could turn into these moving pictures. Like it's it's science meets art. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in our childhood, I feel like in the 90s was the golden age or the renaissance of 
video game development. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was, you know, Atari before our time, mm -hmm. Pong and <clears throat> things like that. But when we, we were growing up, it was right when the NES, original Nintendo, dropped, and then the Super Nintendo, and then the N64, and then PlayStation 1, 2, 3. So it, it just happened all throughout our childhood. Mm -hmm. So we were in like that golden age of video game development, console we, development. We grew up during a resurgence of video games because Atari single-handedly crashed the market and interest of video games as a retail um, pursuit mm. um, back in like, I think it was like 83, 84. Um, main reason that happened is because Atari ruled the video game market in the United States mm. solely. I mean, you had people like Magnavox and... ColecoVision trying to mimic their success, but it wasn't quite what Atari was. Atari was basically like the Apple of tech companies back in the day, at least for the video game market. But um, it got to the point to where everyone was making games for Atari and the market became oversaturated. Mm. So they saw it as, you know, here's a all these small companies kept popping up and independent developers kept popping up saying, Hey, this is a get, get rich quick scheme that I can get into. I can make a game. I don't care about the quality of it. People will buy this for 20 bucks a pop mm. and I, I can make money off of this. Um, and because there was no regulation of that, it became, it became a, a big problem where you'd have some games that were good and most games that were on the market were terrible mm. and people were <clears> buying into it because they, the only thing they had to go off of were the box art. That's why the box art was so good. And you, you had a spaceman on the cover, but you get into the thing and it's just a thing of a bunch of pixels and you don't know what to do in the game. It doesn't yeah. really explain anything. It doesn't explain anything about itself. That's like the original Zelda for NES. Like the cover is this beautiful, like, design and, and then the, you could get the gold plated mm -hmm. uh, cartridge but then you get into the game and it's just like pixelated like tur, 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 tur. well yeah i mean <laughs> but no i mean the i think us growing up around that time was we really saw the beginning of which now the video game industry is a multi-billion dollar industry mm. and it, i mean there are sports based on it now um streaming like twitch streaming there there are people who make livelihoods off of just playing games we we really did grow up during a time where um people uh kind of started getting back into the interest and there was an idea of hey maybe uh we can do more with this if we regulate this market and make sure that the stuff that people are buying, they're not getting gypped off. Which, you know, kind of now more than ever, it's 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 the same thing. But it's it's such an established market that people don't really see it the same way they did in the 80s. Right. And it, uh, other than video games, at a consumer level, you... I feel like you love to have the newest, latest, greatest thing. Mm -hmm. 
you know, whether it's the new iPhone or you like to stay on top of the, the new generations of these uh, devices. Um, whereas I, I'm like, if it's working, it's fine, you know. Um, so, so how did your interest in tech develop from, you know, like a, a video game level or was it simultaneous where, you know, you're, you're, you start looking at companies like Apple and the devices like phones and watches and, um, you know, wearables, uh, well, I think, well, I remember, um, we didn't really, the only computers that we had available to our, to us were the ones that daddy had in his office. Mm-hmm. We didn't really have a home computer until like, I think it was 2003. Yeah. Hewlett Packer. Yeah. That HP that we had. God, um, that thing's awesome shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I think that's kind of where my whole tinkering thing came from is cause I would always because it was something that I saw as, hey, this is readily available uh, to mess around with. This is something that I don't have to get our parents' permission to play around with. This is something that can be my own. Even though it was the family computer, I, I still saw it as like uh, not really a toy, but something that I could mess around with, try to get the most potential out of this device that I could, um, whether that be like playing around with the settings of windows or trying out different Ram sticks or cooling options, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think that's kind of where the whole tinkering aspect started was when we got that first computer and, it was kind of hours, but I messed around with it so much that I just wanted to see what I could do with it. Yeah, I was fascinated by the internet, and um, I had some computer games that were cool that I would play. So I was fascinated by the the uh, potential of using these technologies, not so much the internals. Mm-hmm. You know the, the the way the the mechanics of it, mm-hmm. but the actual programming, you know the the internet possibilities. I was I I, I used that to its full potential, and you know I burned CDs off a of lime wire and the whole the whole thing. Allegedly burned. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. 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 <laughs> allegedly got contacted by our internet provider for downloading. Allegedly, may or may not have happened. So, <clears throat> so building off of that, you know, we talked going into this episode, maybe looking at the future of technology and what's what's coming down the pipe as far as um, at a consumer level and and beyond. Um, we talked about AI. Uh, you mentioned graphing. Something that you've been looking at. Oh, uh, graphene. Graphene. Oh, graphene. graphene. I thought you said graphing. Okay, yeah, graphene. Graphene. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say it. I can't even say it. So that's, that's a material, I presume? Yes. 
so to explain, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert in graphene and I know very little as far as what it's potential is or what its applications are, but it is a newer, um, I don't want to say discovered, but it is a man-made material. Um, what graphene is in its most layman terms is a atom thick bonded sheet of graphite. So graphite is a very well um, used, very widely used um, mineral that we use in our daily lives. I is mean, that like pencil lead? Yeah, it's pencil okay. lead. Yeah. You can actually create graphene using a technique. The original technique that they, they I think it was these two scientists, um, actually discovered graphene through what they um, they call like the Gimes scotch tape method, which Gimes is one of the scientists that was experimenting with it. Um, what they did was they took a block of graphite and just regular scotch tape that they bought at the store and stuck it to the face of this graphite block. You remove it, fold it, unfold it, re-stick it, re-stick it, and what they're doing, as you do that, it, it leaves a residue on the scotch tape itself. But what they discovered when they looked under a microscope is they were actually stacking atom-thick layers of graphite on the scotch tape. Mm. So from that came the theory of how could we manufacture this to where, you know, instead of having thousands of people in a warehouse doing scotch tape and building stuff with it, <laughs> yeah, we could just find a way to either 3D print or or layer this graphite to where it uh, you can build something out of it or use it in different applications. Um, from my understanding, graphene is basically pure carbon. It's pure graphite, but it's, it's the way that it's structured. It's structured in honeycomb um, sheets and what you it, apparently its its strength when stacked is much higher than steel. Wow! And it's actually a semiconductor, so you could use it for stuff like wiring, or they're even talking about the potential uses of replacing silicon when making processors to using graphene because it's a much better semiconductor mm. than silicon. Mm. And do you know anything about the harvesting of graphite? Is it hard to process? It, like, I know silicon is kind of a difficult thing to get. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to mine for it, and it's not the cl cleanest of practices, I think. Right. But what about graphite? Is it a b more abundant than silicon? Do you know? I would, I'm not entirely sure, but from what I have looked up um it seems as though graphite is more readily available than silicon because silicon has to be 
processed, whereas graphite can just be harvested. And it's cheaper. I mean, you and got pencil cheaper. lead and every, you know, we're not making pencil lead out of, out of, out of silicon. No. You know what I mean? That's, uh, I feel like graphite is a much cheaper to, to get mm. mineral. Now, is graphene, does that automatically imply that it's very thin, like nano, really thin? Yes. Graphene layers can go as, as tiny as one atom thick sheets. And it's conductive. It's conductive. So this this could be used in like nanotechnology. Yes. Very very there's a lot of capabilities in using this in nanotechnology. Yes. Because <clears throat> you can get smaller and smaller and smaller with it because you don't have to use steel or these big conductive metals. Yeah. You can use this. Or for like the outer protective too. You don't have to use carbon fiber or plastic. You can use this. Right. Hmm. Yeah, so the potential there is pretty great. Yeah, I mean it's just a matter of the the problem that I've that I've seen them running into when it comes to graphene is mass production. It's the problem that they're facing is not so much a problem of how do we make this material as much as it is how can we cost effectively make a lot of this and manufacture it to something that we could practically use. Right. Lauren, did you find anything about? Yeah. So I, um, I just looked up how they, um, harvest graphite and it says, um, that they graphite or is mined using excavating machines, that carry dump trucks with raw ore, the entire extraction process follows a mining plan facilitating the selection of the most suitable ore for final products. So it's like graphite ore, and you, you have to mine for it. Um, and I don't know what else. It, I mean, yeah, you, you mine for it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know, but I feel like the abundant use of graphite you know, and pencils and all that, whatever other things it's used in is, it's clearly more abundant than silicon. Mm. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's interesting. That's definitely something that has potential to change the game as far as, you know, using that in a, in a, in new technology. I also just found it says that Turkey has the largest reserves of graphite followed by China and Brazil. So that's, I don't know, I mean, it says those three countries account for 72% of the estimated world graphite reserves. So that, I mean, that seems like maybe interesting to how how it, it all goes together with technology and stuff. Yeah, and I, like on a geopolitical level, you know, if you have the resources, you have the, you have the advantage. Um, now just because the country has, it doesn't mean that private people can't come in and control the flow of that resource, you know, and kind of supersede the country, the country's interest or whatever. Right. But all right, let's look at another thing. Um, so AI is a big topic, artificial intelligence that is 
you know, coming about now, I know Meta has developed or invested highly in artificial intelligence. Google has their own artificial intelligence. You had Blake Lemoyne, the Google engineer that, you know, kind of being framed as a whistleblower as far as the, the sentience of the AI chatbot that he was working with. Um, yeah, so what what do you think is, is coming about from artificial intelligence and, you know, where is it now and, and where is it headed? Uh, well, before you, uh, before you give your answer, I was mm-hmm. looking up and it said, um, I was lo- looking at an article and it says some um, top artificial intelligence technologies for 2022, um, natural language generation. So machine, machines process and communicate in a different way than the human brain speech recognition, virtual agents, biometrics, machine learning, robotic process automation, peer-to-peer network, and deep learning platforms. And um, that's a lot of information to process at once. But, yeah, it's it's sort of like what the AI is kind of doing right now, what what we're seeing. So, th- so these companies are trying to develop – and other other people um, are trying to make machines learn. Essentially, is that what is that correct? Make machines learn like a human would learn, where we don't have to put the you know eventually we don't have to input. We don't have to put the input or code a machine to do behaviors that we want it to do. The machine will automatically aggregate and learn uh, on its own? I hope that's not the goal. What do you hope the goal is? I mean, what what is a positive scenario for AI? Non-Terminator. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather Sky not, uh, Skynet not become a thing. Really? No. Uh I mean, I don't think, I mean, I think most people would hope that, like, we wouldn't end up in a Black Mirror episode. We wouldn't, um, what's the Tom Cruise movie? Vanilla Sky. Yeah, Vanilla Sky. You oh, know what I'm talking about. The one where it's, like, the crime develop. he works for crime, and it's, like, they have the two, the people, and it's, like, they, it's, they predict crime, and so they oh, go yeah. stop it before it even happens. Yeah, yeah. Um. I don't think I've seen that. Oh, it's good. But yeah, they 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 use AI and they use these like they're like these little seers. They they can see the future and they predict crimes before they even happen. So then their crime department will literally go to the scene of the crime and like arrest the person. Mm. And so it kind of takes away the free will of people. Yeah. But um yeah, cuz a lot of people will talk about artificial intelligence being used as you know, a way to prevent crime and to or to bring crime rates down. But before we even get into the nitty gritty of it, I'm sure that there may be a few people being like, can we actually get the definition of artificial intelligence? So it's the theory and development of computer systems able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech recognition, decision making and translation between languages so um like 
Siri is a form of artificial intelligence or your Alexa. Um, those are just like more simple types, but they could potentially, you know, a hundred, 200 years from now, I mean, not even that far into the future, they could be like fully flushed out, um, with like a human like feel where you could have a conversation with them and it would feel like you're having a conversation with another person because they would take the information that they have and then they would continue to build on it in the way that like a child their neurons and everything builds on the information that they're absorbing from the world. Yeah. And that's the speech, uh, the natural speech thing. That's what Blake Lemoyne was talking about with the Google chat bot. When you go to help mm, that's what at Google. Yeah. Like instead of getting a person that's going to help you work through your problem, mm-hmm. you'll get an AI chat bot. And he's saying that these systems have become more and more advanced to the point where he um, he would prompt it a certain question. And in his opinion, um, they're over, I forget the name uh, of their overall chatbot system. Um, but he was saying that in his opinion, mm-hmm. it has now reached the level of sentience. Mm sentience being uh, you know a, a level of emotional uh, intelligence um, like, like a human would have yeah. so it has thoughts feelings of its own yeah um, so I mean I, I think we know it's lambda yeah that's what it is the lambda chatbot uh, it's clam, lambda chatbot system that all these different chatbots are tied into. Yeah, and this is a little quote from an article that I just pulled up about Blake Lemoyne, the Google engineer who is claiming that AI, the AI chatbot is sentient. And literally the first quote is, I want everyone to understand that I am in fact a person. And that's what Lambda, the Google chatbot, said in an interview um, conducted by Blake Lemoyne and one of his colleagues. The 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 artificial intelligence said that to them. Yeah, and again, it's not a just because it said that doesn't mean it's sentient, right? I mean, it, it could just be saying that based on prompts. You know, it doesn't mean it's actually thinking that, or you know. So you're, you're talking about Skynet. Why would you not want Skynet to become a thing? And Skynet is the Tesla. Uh, Elon Musk. No, Skynet is oh. Terminator. Yeah. Oh, Skynet is Terminator. Yeah. I thought I thought Skynet was the Elon Musk thing where he's no. giving us all no, internet. That's uh, Starlink. Starlink. That's yeah. it. Okay. Okay. So it's Terminator. Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't want that either. And for those of you who are not into sci-fi, which you're fucking stupid if you're not, but. Skynet is a highly sophisticated artificial intelligence that rules over the ruined future of the Terminator franchise. Originally created as a military intelligence network, Skynet's original purpose was to coordinate unmanned military hardware for the United States government. Yeah, I don't want that to happen. Mm-mm. I mean, I think that... I th- asking, why do we not want Skynet? <laughs> like, what the fuck are you <laughs> oh, those are badass movies, though. Uh, I mean, 
what, what, let's talk about Starlink, okay? And mm. and like Neuralink, uh, the, these Tesla technologies that Elon Musk is hoping to come out with in the near future, mm. um, that are you know, pushing technology forward. I mean, do you think the advancement of technology is a bad thing or a good thing? Well, before you get into that, explain, explain what Starlink and Neuralink is. Well, those are just two examples. I mean, you know, I'm really just talking about the progression of technology that to me seems inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, so Starlink is the satellite I- internet right. that's hoping to provide global internet. Right. To anyone. I mean, right. if you're in the Amazon rainforest, you can play Candy Crush. Yeah. Right. Um, and what, oh yeah, Neuralink is the brain chip that he, uh, Elon Musk is talking about developing, developing that would help. I think initially he framed it as, you know, helping paraplegics walk again and yeah. helping Alzheimer patients remember again. Right. Right. But, uh, there's always the current concern of okay, th- then what? You know, that's a nice little package to say. Oh, we're going to help cripple people, or we're going to help. Is that a bad <laughs> word? Is cripple people a bad word? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we're going to help paraplegics walking in. Every everyone would be like, <laughs> Timmy, we're going to help all the cripples. And let me let me put this out there and say that. Starlink or Starlink that Neuralink sounded so promising of course when um, Elon Musk is giving his speeches about it but I have read that in practical application that it is not as nearly as successful as he claims it is that's just what I've read you know he's probably would disagree with that but um, and I think Keller your larger point you're just using those as examples of like the human integration with technology and what the future of our technological world could look like. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it neutral? What, you know, what is it, what do we want the outcome of, of our rapid, you know, rapidly changing society to look like? Yeah. I mean, Max, what's your opinion on that? I mean, is it, is it bad, good, neutral, uh, yeah, I think it could be a good thing um, if applied cautiously. Definitely the thought of a computer system that can think for itself and behave by itself without human input is scary to me. Or you scary. automatically get visions of Ex Machina and Terminator. Yeah, I mean the the, the robot re- revolt. That you know that's that's the visions you get. Yeah. Well, and I think that I think deep down it's like Uncanny Valley. We know that they're smarter than us, mm. and we know that it's not human. It's like just close enough proximity wise to human, but it's not. So, like, when you're talking to these AI chatbots and they feel like they're having a real human conversation with you, it's like, ooh, it's kind of unsettling. It's like you know it's not real, but it feels real. And I think that as humans, there's like a a survival instinct in us to not want that, to be to push that away. But I guess there's there's a lot of people who are like, 
no, I'm trying to, what's the movie we saw that's like they put the headset on? Yeah, Ready Player One, where they're like, I want to be in that shit. I'm ready to go. Because mm-hmm. they don't fucking, they hate their life. Yeah, I mean, and you, Max, as a as a avid consumer mm-hmm. of new technologies, you know, would you would you be more on the side of transhumanism and merging with machines? Well, I think that's it's inevitable that at one point in the very, very, very near future that that's going to happen. Right. I mean, we already you give people access to a never before seen technology, people are going to be curious about it. Like with smartphones, those didn't come around really until like 2007 or 2008. You give people access to this never before seen mind blowing technology where you can access all of this information and, and connect to people on a level that you've, never been able to connect to someone before right right i think it's a moral issue that's going to become more and more of a discussion point do we want this mm-hmm. because i do i think it is inevitable i think that technology is going to progress even at an exponential level mm-hmm. You know, and the singularity is going to happen. You know, it, whether we like it or not, these, I mean, unless some, you know, cataclysmic event happens, mm. you know, this advancement of technology is is just what we do as humans at this point, is develop new technology. Um, I've heard Rogan say this, and I don't remember who the actual quote is from, and I might murder the quote, but he says... Humans are the sex organs of the machine world. Yeah. So it's basically like the mach- the machines are just using the humans to to reproduce so that there'll be more I you know development of this technology. That's the, you know the main goal. Well, that's the entire premise of the matrix. Hmm. The computers or the machines were harvesting humans, growing humans basically as batteries, as power sources right, for their civilization to survive. Right. And right now we have the upper hand because we, we are the purveyors, we are the masters of this technology, but when it does hit a point of sentience, mm-hmm. then it will be its own master. Now, and, and that's scary because we don't know whether these things are benevolent, benevolent mm-hmm. or not um or are they like humans and they they can be uh benevolent or they can be destructive mm-hmm. uh, and that's scary the the unknown well and i think you it raises like a lot of questions in my mind and you know just immediately off the point of what you were saying it's like are we going to end up in star wars where like the droids have you know, obviously not every situation, but it's like a lot of cases the droids have sort of like an equal um, standing as humans, obviously, 
you meet a lot of characters in that world that don't think that droids deserve it. But the droids are like they have emotions and they have feelings and like they're good they're, and they can be bad. So it's they're sort of on an equal emotional level. Are we going to go to that world or like are we going to go to Terminator? And it's like they're trying to kill us all. But I, I kind of I think I agree that it is inevitable. I don't know. I, maybe I'm just like too much of a hippie that I am like don't want it and I don't think that that's a good thing for humanity. I think that I like cherish real, you know, what like our biology is and like what we've evolved to be. And maybe I'm just one of those people who is like, can't see it. And it's the next step of evolution. And I'm just horrified by it or something. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. But I think a question that I always ask myself is when it happens, what, what will happen? Cause there will be groups of people who say, yeah, like let's merge. Let's, Let's become partners with this um, AI and this emerging technology. But then what happens to the people who don't want to? Like, are, do they get discarded? Are they not welcomed into society anymore because they're not powerful and they don't have rights anymore? Or is there, can we all, you know, live in peace and, and, and tranquility or... You know what? What happens to the people who don't want to, don't want this? Do they? What happens to them? I mean, I, I'm on the side. I'm more on the side. <laughs> I'm more on the side of, you know, I, I, I'm weary about this, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I don't know. Um, that I don't know about transhumanism and whether we should merge with machines. I. I you know, I, I don't know about that. I, I'm, I'm more on the side of our biological nature. But I, I, I believe that with the progression of this technology, it's only inevitable. You're going to have your defectors. You're going to have people that, I mean, just like anything. I mean, when smartphones came out, people were like, I'm not getting a smartphone. I'm not doing that. I'm fine with my flip phone or even cellular phones. Like, I'm fine with my house phone. Like our grandma, like she she doesn't know how to get on a computer. Mm-hmm. She just has house phones. She has a cell phone, but she leaves it off. She only takes it to the beauty shop with her when she's getting her hair done. And, and we look at she's totally like, fine. So she's like, there's no way she could survive if she was like a thirty-something-year-old in the modern world. You know, like, oh, she's she she's older, so it's fine that she doesn't have these modern technologies. So it's like, is that how people? Well, I think Well, I think that's it. I think you can survive if you don't adapt these technologies. If you don't have an email, you can survive. Hmm. If you don't have a smartphone, you can survive, but the the uh, societal infrastructure is going to be more and more based on you have to have these technologies. You in order to get to work, you have to have a car. You can't walk to work nowadays. I mean, very few people walk to work because everything is so spread out. There's no buses or subways or, you know, you can't bike to work. Yeah, everything is so spread out now. You have to have a car. You have to have that piece of technology in order to work to exist, to survive, to make money. In order to, you know, communicate with your bosses, all they use is email, right? Mm -hmm. Or text message so you have to adopt those technologies in order to 
thrive in a modern world. Mm-hmm. So you can still survive, you can still exist, but you're not thriving and it's and it's and it's harder to survive if you don't adopt these technologies, embrace these things, if you don't have these things. So I think that it's I do think it's inevitable. And I think it's they're just going to make it these technologies, you have to adopt them. And if not, it's going to be harder and harder and harder to survive, to exist in this modern changing world. So in order to, to live and survive, to make money and to exist in this world, I think you're going to have to accept these new technologies. Would you say that people of the younger generation are more adept to uh, accept this new technology or they're more, they see it as more of like an addiction? Mm, I think that, I think with anything, it depends on who you ask um, because obviously there's lots of different types of people, but I think as a whole that the younger and younger and younger generations um, are much, much more likely to accept Mm. whatever is coming for them. Because even, you know, um, a little girl that me and Keller um, keep in our family, um, she has an iPad and, you know, she's a, what is it? What do they call an iPad baby or whatever? She was like that forever. And like, knew how to work YouTube, knew how to skip ads, knew how to take selfies. And now she has like a little play phone that doesn't have internet access on it. And she loves it. Like she texts us all the time through Wi-Fi, takes pictures on it. And she's amazing at it. Meanwhile, my 70-year-old grandparents can barely work. They're like iPhone 4s, you know? So I think that not only are they more willing to accept it, I don't even think that they know what a world without it is like. So it's like for them, it's just the next new thing in line. It's not even this scary, you know, huge force that's coming for them to sweep away humanity as we know it. I think in their mind, it's like, oh, this is just what we already know. All we know is technology. We all grew up where we had, we saw the crossover of pre-internet age and then after and so did our parents and our grandparents so for them it's like you have to bring this into your life but you can also live without it I think for younger and younger and younger kids it's I mean I imagine it would be very hard and I don't even blame them or think that there's anything inherently like awful or wrong about it but I do think that um they don't even know what what's coming there there's this is just normal for them I think that it's a that is kind of the way I see it is it's when AI becomes to the point to where it's time to integrate it into us the younger generation is definitely going to be the more on board with okay you want to put something on my brainstem that allows me to browse Facebook or watch YouTube videos or all this other stuff, they will definitely be the ones to jump at the gun at the, at, at the chance to do that. Whereas the older generation that didn't have that 
growing up with that as an experience will be the ones that'll be like, hey, let's let's slow down, let's take our time with this. There's a lot that can go wrong if we don't use this correctly. I mean, our our generation thought the world was going to end in 2000. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we we're like terrified of it. You know, we think that it's like this massive threatening force. I mean, and I do think that way. And like I said earlier, maybe we just don't know. Maybe we're just like, you know, maybe we just don't have that foresight to see the vision, but I do tend to think that it's not good. Um, but no, I definitely think that the future generations to come are going to be like, yeah, sign me up. Like, this is what we already know. Yeah, and I don't look at the development of technology and advancement of technology as good or bad. I think it's just something that is happening. It's something that's going to happen, that is happening, um, and, you know, we can make that good or bad, you know, by our use, our utilization of it. You know, this... Yeah, the splitting of the atom can power millions of homes. Nuclear energy can power millions of homes. It's a great source of energy. Um, but also, it can destroy an entire city. So the application, how we use these tools, how we use this technology, is going to determine the morality of it. It's going to determine whether it's good or bad. And I think that the development of it is just something that's going to happen. Mm. And it's to me, it's, it is an inevitability, and it's almost like a forced obsolescence. Mm. You better get on board with this, because if you don't, you're going to be behind. If I, if I have a brain chip that allows me to communicate in every language and allows me to do mathematical processing at the speed of light, and you don't, Guess who's going to have the upper hand? So, you know, and getting jobs and in every getting any kind of income. I mean, finding partners, everything. I mean, it's not just uh, financial things, but like in so like in sociological situations. You know, if you have the person who's like literally knows everything, who's like amazing at having a conversation, amazing at sex. Can, knows how to invest their money. It's like that seems like an obvious choice, you know. Yeah, and you, like I said, you can still survive, but for how long? You're, you're going to be forced to be obsolete if you don't adopt these technologies because you cannot. You're it's eventually going to become you cannot exist without in the modern world without these things. Right. So I think that this trans transhumanism uh, conversation, I think the transhumanism thing is 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 imminent. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that we're going to have to have to adopt, but then morally figure out for ourselves. Would you vote in a robot president? <laughs> that I think that that's kind of where I want to take the conversation next is talking about the application side of um, technology and like what what it's going to look like because I know that we had some notes about you know digital ID, digital currency, social credit score um, terms that you know you've probably already heard in the news as sort of hot button issues, but that that is really where the malignant part of the debate lies is 
you know, like Keller was saying, if the technology is coming, okay, but how the fuck do we deal with it? Like, what do we do when it's there? And there are bad people in the world who have a lot of power and who want more power. And if they can make these technologies so smart and so um, over the people, it's, you know, that's when we start having, you know, problems. Yeah, so this is this is where it gets scary to me and my conspiratorial brain starts to work um, is in the application of this technology and who holds the rights to this technology and how they will use that. <clears throat> so I think if you if you have all open source, and um, anybody can know how it works, and anybody can use it and develop what they want. You know that's that's one thing, and that that can be have good and bad consequences. Uh, kind of a democratic use uh, or a free and open use of this new technology. But my thing is, if it's controlled, if you know if. Facebook only has access to their algorithm and you don't know what that is, then, you know, they can do, they can do what they want, whether good or bad, but it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be in the interest of that company. Mm. I mean, if we look at corporations, they have a profit driven business model, you know, and so anything they can do to increase profits for that company, they're going to do, and they're going to utilize these new technologies to help them do that if if it can. So this is where it gets scary to me is is the application of artificial intelligence by private corporations, by nation states, um, and by private actors. Um, and so let's, we can talk about that. I mean, I have an article here. It's by The Last American Vagabond. And I'll just read Vagabond. Vagabond. Oh, you said Vagabond. No, no. Um, I'll just read the first blurb of this article. Last year, a government commission called for the U.S. to adopt an AI-driven mass surveillance system far beyond that used by any other country in order to ensure American hegemony and in artificial intelligence. Now, many of the obstacles they had cited as preventing its impl implementation are rapid rapidly being removed under the guise of combating the coronavirus crisis. This was published in 2019. Last year, a U.S. government body dedicated to examining how artificial intelligence can, quote, address the national security and defense needs of the United States, unquote, discussed in detail the structural changes that the American economy and society must undergo in order to ensure a technological advantage over China. According to a recent document acquired through a FOA request, uh, yeah, Freedom of Information Act request, this document suggests that the U.S. followed China's lead and even surpassed them in many aspects related to AI-driven technologies, particularly their use of mass surveillance. So, 
And that article, we can, um, that document, the Freedom of Information document, um, we can publish. But it was done by the N NSCAI, which is the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence, which is co-founded by Eric Schmidt, who is the ex-CEO of Google, mm -hmm. uh, the founder of Google. Doesn't seem like a little bit of a crosshairs there at all. Yeah, seems like some... Some vested interest. Yeah, and I mean, and I, I, what came up for me, um, because I listened to a lot about this topic, when we said we were going to do this podcast about tech and the future of tech, um, what came up to me is this idea of technocracy. Mm. So... Um, there's there's a word that's been floating out around technocracy. Um, and the definition of it is a government or social system controlled by technicians, especially scientists and technical experts. So, you know, a, a government or society that's built upon, you know, the guidance and advice strictly by experts and scientists and tech, you know, giants, the, the, the holders of technology. Mm. So that is scary to me because when you look to China, you know, you look at that, their social credit score system that's, I th I'm pretty sure, being implemented as we speak in China. Um, and their merging of the public and private sector, especially in regards to tech companies, mm -hmm. and using this technology as a way of governing, um, as, a, as a way of, quote-unquote, improving society, improving compliance, or whatever. That's where it starts to get scary for me and as far as the application who holds this technology and how is it going to be used on us the the, the regular everyday people but you know we were talking about you know our, our grandmother she doesn't have email and she doesn't know how to work a computer and she doesn't have an iphone mm -hmm. and she doesn't want that and and that's that's fine you know that's what works for her and and we're saying that younger people are probably more apt to accept these new technologies because they grew up with them. It's just a part of their world. And I don't think they're like I don't think that that means that they're stupid or dumb. I'm like I'm very much a Gen Z apologist because I'm I'm what they call a zillennial. I'm literally right in between Gen Z and millennials. So I I, I totally get the mindset that Gen Z has. And then I also understand the other side of it that, you know, the, the push away from it and like the fear of technology. But then I also, I, I do get where Gen Z comes from. And I, I don't think that it means that they're stupid or that they're, they're not thoughtful about their decisions. I think that it's just all they know. You know, I think at, at any point in history, you could look back and say, oh, the next generation, oh, my God, I can't believe they're accepting radios. I can't believe they're accepting TVs. It's like it, everything looks crazy in hindsight. Yeah, I think at the consumer level, 
it's um, it's just your choice, and I, I can't see the the dark at the end of the tunnel at a consumer level because it's just like, cool, man. We got better VR. You know, the Oculus is badass. You know, if you've ever tried one, it's sweet. You know, we got better phones. You know, we we can we can take a picture and edit out the background and all these cool consumer level applications uh, um, are great. And I think that, you know, medical technology is great. You know, we, we can perform open heart surgery nowadays way easier and more successful and more efficiently than in the past. You know, we don't perform lobotomies anymore. You know, we, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are great aspects of technology for me, where it gets scary is this merging of the public and private sector. And when you start getting into digital currencies and digital IDs and social credit scores, that, to me, is pushing on the technocracy side of it. And that's what's scary to me, is the governmental adoption with the help of tech companies, you know, with the help of the holders of these technologies in applying their technologies to govern the people. Um, whether that be a mass surveillance system, and, and because they're going to frame it as this is for the greater good. Like the Patriot Act was framed, we have a threat, an existential <laughs> threat. <laughs> Sorry. Um, terrorism. Yeah. Terrorism. Well, watch me hit your trap. <laughs> That, you know, this is going to help us fight terrorism. This, this thing that is a threat to you and your family. Mm -hmm. And all you got to do is just surrender a little bit of your rights. You let us look into your phone a little bit. Let us look into your emails a little bit. You know, if you're not doing anything, you shouldn't have an issue. You know, it, it, it's totally fine. And some people would, would say, okay. You know, that, and they put it in this nice little package of the greater good. Um, but then where, where does it go from there? You know, where does it stop? Where do, and where does it stop? And how much freedoms, how much privacy do we give up, hmm. you know, in, in order to protect us from some threat or in order for the greater good? At again, at, I keep saying this, but at the consumer level, you know, if if an older person were to be like, social media is the devil, you know, you can have the okay boomer attitude to that. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's healthy to have skepticism about new technology when it comes to these governmental implementations, when it comes to digital IDs, digital currencies, social credit scores. We need to have the thought of, hold on, this could go bad. This could take a wrong turn. You know, it, that's something that you can't say okay boomer to. You know, you, we have to have a little bit of this, you know, old mindset of, well, before we do that, you know, that may be all fine and dandy, but it could go wrong. Mm. We, we, we need to ask those, these questions, and I think it's something that's going to, be a huge issue in our lifetime, um, a huge moral discussion point of 
do we want these new technologies entering into the public sector to track us or to surveil us? Is it for our greater good or is it just for the greater good of the people that are telling us, you know, it's for our greater good, but it's, it's not in our best interest. It's not in the people's best interest. It's in Pfizer's best interest or it's in the government's best interest, the CIA's best interest. Like, you know, that's the questions that we are going to have to ask and make the determination and not just lie down and say, oh, yeah, you know, we got to accept all this. It's all good. And it's all great. If we, as a people, have all come to a place where we agree that separation of church and state is a good thing because we have seen the corruption that the church will implement when they are in charge of the state. I mean, you can literally look through thousands and thousands of years of history where when the church was in charge of people, there were wars that were waged in the name of the church. There were people that were murdered over it. I mean, the fight between the Catholic and the Protestants in England and France for years back and forth. Like we know the destruction and the chaos it causes, um, when the church and state are together. So why is it, why is the conversation so different when it comes to the private sector and private business interest? Because they're businesses, they're not looking out for the people of the, you know, whatever country that we're talking about. Why is it so hard to see that this will not be a good thing if these two things merge? You know, I mean, we already, I mean, to be honest, they're, they're already merging. We have lobbyists. We have, you know, different special interest groups that are lining the pockets of our politicians, left and right wing. Um, so why is it so hard to, why is it not okay? And why is it so hard sometimes for people to say, yeah, if church and state should be separated, then why should private businesses or big pharma, why should they not be involved with the government in a public way? Why should the government not get their information from Pfizer or from Moderna or any private business? It doesn't, I mean, you can take COVID completely out of the equation, but technology, bringing it back to that, why should we have Bill Gates making decisions for the government? Why should he be, you know, the, the leading expert and then the government puts things out to the people? Why that if we can agree that church and state shouldn't happen, then we, I feel like it's an easy next step to say the private business sector and the public government sector should not be like holding hands together. To play devil's advocate about that topic, um, we are entering a new era of space exploration, and it's all being primarily that's being fueled by a private company. Um, NASA is a sector of the U.S. government. It is privately funded, but it is a sector of the U.S. government. But the most we've seen as far as spa space exploration and, and the promise of interplanetary travel is coming from a private business owned by Elon Musk. And others. I mean, you have Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic. I think that the, the level of technological advancement happens much more rapidly in the private sector. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, so I do think there is advantages to private sector, you know, technological advancement. Uh, I think they can do it better and faster. I mean, we've seen that in the case of space exploration. Do you think because there's less bureaucracy involved in the funding? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's part of it, yeah. I mean, you don't have to get permission, you know? Right. If, If you're going through government, you have to get the permission of the and people or the Congress. Yeah, and you, you're, you're taking yeah. the people's money and doing it. But, the, but if you're a private company, you, that's like, uh, I was watching this thing the other day about SpaceX. And the first several SpaceX launches, you know, Falcon 9 rockets, whatever, were f- failures. You know, they failed upon, they blew up, right? And, Elon Musk looked at that as a good thing because he's like, okay, well, we learn something from every failure. They have the, they have the option to fail. Whereas NASA, they couldn't fail a bunch because then the people would start saying, okay, why is my money going to this? We want to see some, if my money's going to go into it, we want it to succeed. You know, we want to see a successful launch. So NASA doesn't have the, um. Well, they if if they blow up a few ships, then that's it. It's like okay, yeah, well, all right, yeah. Like we've seen all we need to see. They're not gonna take that, and then they're not gonna go get another billion trillion dollars from the government and just fucking do it all over again. But I think to answer from my perspective, to answer your initial question about whether um, it's a good thing or not, I think that it. I think it's a tricky and delicate thing, but I think my main concern is when it's private businesses that are literally funding, like directly funding politicians. And then the the politicians are making um, choices and they're implementing plans and they're making uh, choices for their constituents based off of who is the biggest donor for them. That's where I really um, feel a lot of fear and concern because they're not making decisions based off of what what does what benefits South Carolina the best, what benefits North Carolina the best. It's like, oh well, for example, the NRA gives us you know fifty million dollars a year, so we're gonna constantly make votes for that we're going to constantly keep them in the forefront of our mind that's just where my concern is I do agree that the private sector has way faster innovation they um they don't have like the laws and regulations they don't have to go out and fund money they don't have to um you know increase taxes to make more profits that they can fund innovation so I I think that the private sector as a separate entity is great you know, awesome. But I just, I do worry about, um, when it comes to our politicians making choices that directly affect us and our lives and, you know, the economy and things like that. Where do we draw the line? You know, what, what is okay and what's not for, um, our politicians to be voting for and voting on when they have like, you know, 10 donors who are making sure that they get to go to the Hamptons 14 times a year. I personally, I don't believe in the school of thought of 
technology and innovation should not be politicized. It should not be something created to combat a geopolitical problem. It should be something that is done strictly morally for the betterment of the human race as a whole. Um, trying to politicize the advancement of technology only puts a stamp on it that it's for the purpose of beliefs. Technology should not be based on belief. It should be based on uh, growth, pure growth, just for the sake of growth, not growth for the sake of this is going to better our side or their side. It, it shouldn't be about that. Well, this cozy relationship between public and private has always been there. I mean, have you heard of the term the fourth industrial revolution? Yeah, yeah it's, an, it's a new term that has come up, kind of pushed forward by the World Economic Forum. And, yeah. Oh, you're getting into the nitty-gritty now. Yeah, and it's being pushed. I mean, and they say, like, we're in it now, basically. Because I think we've always seen this cozy relationship between government and the private sector. And whether it's the first industrial revolution with the invention of steel, you know, and these this new technology that is going to advance our civilization. And, you know, you had a relationship between the steel manufacturers and the government. And our society was built around this new thing um, of steel or... Uh, and so now with the fourth industrial revolution, I think, I think it's tech technology and, and data um, and using technology to you know, have a renaissance era. Um, I mean, so you, I think you've always seen this cozy relationship between whatever it is, the big institutions of uh, the private sector, whether that be industry, energy, uh, or finance, you know, the big banks, uh, the, the bankers, the oil tycoons um, have always been close to government, always influenced, you know, decisions made uh, on by our government. And so now it's just the, the technocrats, the, tech, the technological key holders, uh, whether that be biomedical technology whether that be um, computing technology, um, surveillance, whatever, I think they're always going to have this cozy relationship with uh, new technology builders. And so now it's, it's in the world of the age of computing um, um, and tech. And so now you're seeing, you know, rather than... John D. Rockefeller at these big meetings with all these heads of states and secretary of energies. Then now you're seeing the Eric Schmitz and the Jack Dorsey's and the Elon Musk's, you know, at these meetings with government or high, high level government officials. Um, 
And you can say, I mean, that's just what it is. I mean, they're, you know, they're all trying to figure out how to advance our civilization and to advance our standard of living. And this is what's happening now. So they have to collude with these people. They have to be in the know about what's happening. And there's an argument to be made there. But also, when there is collusion and we don't know what that is and what that entails, because the the uh, opportunities for these technologies as far as governing governing a mass population when it comes to surveillance or tracking um, or censorship even are huge i mean the i mean if you have a tyrannical government i mean if you, ha- you your hitlers and stalins they would have foamed at the mouth for these technologies yeah, so, you know, who's who knows the, the motivations of these people? And I think that you're kind of speaking to a feeling that um, I've thought about a lot recently, um, coming sort of full circle with our technology and government and how it all works together and what the future of the technology is even on a non-governmental level, just in, you know, a regular application. It's like, I think that we all just want more transparency. I think that if we knew, um, if we knew what was going on, if we were able to see how they used it, like, you know, would that make us all feel better? Would it make us feel worse? Would we just at least be glad that we know what's going on? Um, because right now it feels like we're in an age where there's not a lot of transparency about the government and what they do and how they use technology and the advancement of it and, and take the government out of it. Just the tech companies that are pushing forward the newest and greatest, you know, innovative technologies, there, it feels like there's a lot of privacy, a lot of secrecy around it. And I think that, it doesn't mean that they're inherently doing something wrong. I think that we're just, it's natural to feel suspicious when someone's being so secretive and so private about something. It could be your best friend is, you know, you just feel they're hiding something from you and you're automatically suspicious that it's some, you know, horrible secret that they're keeping from you. So that's the feeling that I have. And I mean, maybe other people do too. It's, you just, I just wish there was more transparency. I wish that we were more in the know and that there wasn't so much like bullshit around it because it just feels like a lot of mask wearing and a facade and just bullshit. Yeah, that's my fears around technology are more rooted in the uh, erosion of our privacy, social tracking. Um, social credit scores, those kind of invasive technologies, tracking technologies, surveillance technologies, uh, and invasions of of privacy, that is more scary to me and concerning to me than your um, robot dogs with machine guns attached to them and Terminators and ex machina, and uh, you know, that almost feels like a fantasy, or this feels like, oh, we can see the foundation for this being laid right now. 
So to wrap up here, I mean, we touched on a lot of things today uh, in regards to the advancement of technology, the future of technology, the future of civilization, and, and the human's relationship with technology. And I think it's something that is going to be constantly changing, and it's something that we're going to have to it's, it's going to become a real talking point, an issue. Yeah, and it, it already is. You know, whether we as humans want this encroachment of the machine world on us, whether the, whether we want to merge with these technologies, um, you know, whether we want to become these transhuman uh, cybernetic <laughs> robot dogs. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and, you know, like, like I said, I, I, in my opinion, I think that the advancement of technology is neither good or bad. You know, I think that it's just something that's happening and it's what we do as humans is continue to develop, um, the latest, greatest thing. And, it's how we apply those tools and apply those technologies. It's going to make it good or bad. It's going to make it nuclear energy or nuclear bombs. And um, it, it's up to us. And I, I think it's something that's going to be, you know, it is now and it's going to continue to be become a talking point and issue and a moral issue is whether we want to continue this because it's going to get crazy. I mean, right now, it is, you know, 14 megapixel iPhone cameras and Oculus VR games. But it's going to get to the point of biological hacking, of, of integration with brain chips and, you know, ro artificial intelligent robots living among us accepted as humans with the same rights as human beings and the implications of that. And so it, it is scary because it, it is unknown and, and how these things are going to pan out is yet to be seen. Um, but again, I mean, th there's, there's good things and there's bad things and, is something that we're living in. We're in the age of innovation. And it's going to continue to to happen. So. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's very, um, it's a exciting time to live in, but at mm -hmm. the same time, it can be a, it can be looked at as a very scary time to live in. Mm-hmm. Because the future has never been, we've never lived in an age where we can see what's coming from innovation so clearly. And it's, it's never been talked about to such extent because of this is going to happen XYZ years from now 
and it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You can't stop this. Mm-hmm. This is how it's going to be five years, 10 years, 20 mm-hmm. years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely a, uh, if anything, it's an exhilarating time to live in. A lot of things are happening. Yeah. And they're happening quick. Quick. Hey, that's like Terrence McKenna talks about this, his theory on novelty. And novelty is like new things that are happening, uh, new things that are popping up uh, in our reality, uh, whether that be tech, technology or, or knowledge, information. Um, and, and it's like an exponential curve. And we're like right there on that curve where, and he has this whole like time wave theory of like, you know, time was moving, I think he's maybe slower uh, because the, the amount of novelty, amount of new things popping up, you know, a hundred years ago, it, the advancement was very slow. Yeah. Yeah, so one one life-changing, cultural, societal-changing piece of technology would pop up. And then we had a little while to to figure that out and catch up. Um, and then another thing would pop up. So the rate at which that is happening, at which novelty is happening, is becoming exponential to the point at where, where we're at now. And even especially, let's, let's say, 100 years from now, things are happening like... Bam, 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 bam. Mm-hmm. To the point where we don't even know how to deal with it. How, you know, we don't even know. Well, that's part we of can't, it. yeah, we can't wrap our heads around it because it's happening so quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's happened and we haven't even, you know, point A has happened. This thing has happened and we can't even wrap our minds around A and we're already at F. Mm-hmm. So it makes it very hard to, to, to know what's in our best interest and to know, you know, was that, was it, was this a good thing? Because then the next three things have already come along. And it's already too late at that point. And, yeah. And it might be already too late to determine. It might already be a thing. Yeah. You can't take the internet back now. There's no yeah. You can't, yeah. You can't just take back the internet, you know, no, the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. So, a lot of things are happening. Like I said, it's, it's an exhilarating time, mm. and um, yeah, what a t- what a time to be to be alive, and 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 that implies everything: excitement, fear, um, nervousness, anticipation, anxiousness. Um, but there's I think that sort of describes like just the, t- the time and the generation and where we're at in general without even talking about technology like that just seems to be like the general consensus of our life is like there's a lot of stimulus or stimuli there's a lot of stimuli going on and we're just fucking going along with it we're just riding this fucking roller coaster to the best of our ability mm-hmm. yeah yeah so let us know what y'all think you know comment or or Reach out to us and like, <laughs> <laughs> and let us know what what you think about you know emerging new technologies and you know your, your concerns about it and your your hopes uh, about it and uh, we'd love to hear from you and we would like to thank 
a big thanks to my brother Max for being here. Thank you, Max. Thank you for having me. Of course, and we'll ha- we'll have to get him back on the podcast and um, talk about some more lighthearted stuff next time. Yeah. Talk about video games or something. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on, and we we enjoyed talking about this topic with you, and um, hope y'all did too as listeners. And we'll be back probably next week with another episode. So stay tuned and stay safe out there. And Thanksgiving is approaching. Yeah, our, our, our next episode should come out the day before Thanksgiving. Okay. Yeah, our next episode will be the day before Thanksgiving. Not this yeah, and the next one will be the day before Thanksgiving. So we'll probably talk about that and hope everyone has a a good week. Stay safe and we'll uh we'll see you next time. From our couch to yours. This is in the midnight hour podcast. Get some sleep.